The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live! From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday, wherever you are watching or listening. It's great to have you here. A lot of stuff going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Some big news dropped from multiple promotions throughout the week. We have fights this weekend. We had a new documentary series that just dropped featuring the biggest star in the history of the sport. A lot to get to. So let us introduce the contestants first. Let me introduce a man who has logged more travel miles for MMA fighting over the past few years than I could even fathom. He's the brains behind anything but fighting. Great program. A true New Englander at heart. Let Mm -hmm. us welcome back Mm -hmm. Jose Youngs to the program. Hello, Jose. How are you, sir? Hello. I'm fine. The Celtics lost, so that's miserable. The Red Sox are still in dead last. But if we were in the Central, we would be in first place. And if we were in the West, we would be in second place. So the Eastern Conference and almost everything has just appeared to the Western Conference and just about everything. So I digress. Go Red Sox, go Celtics. Bruins, you failed me. And I will never, ever get my hopes up again with you for the rest of my life. Oh, man. Well, his opponent fighting out of Atlanta, Georgia, the co-host of No Bets Bar, the brains behind Dan, they were good. He likes long walks on the beach and he loves to cozy up by the fireplace. <laughs> With many leather-bound books, he's Mr. No Gray Area from MMAFighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hey, buddy. You know what else I like, Mike? Jimmy Butler. What a great guy. Just Jimmy Buckets. Love that fella. Had I known Jose was going to be the the opponent today, I would have rocked a a Heat jersey just for the extra rub-ins on both of y'all. 
Wow, this, this we might have wouldn't my first have, hosted wouldn't program. Have, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have phased me. Jimmy Butler is a very talented and beautiful man, so just would have given me would have just given me that much more, um, you know, motivation to sort of victory because Lord knows Jason Tatum can't do that. Look, he just needs the pressure on him. If they needed to lose this one, it happens. I don't know. Something to see people say that, but something about, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals fourth quarter, that should probably be just about enough pressure as you need. You know, especially it's when game, you're winning game a game. Yeah, it's game right. one. They look they did the same thing against the Sixers and then they kicked their ass in game seven. So that felt yeah. more like it was a third quarter problem, too. Giving up like right. 50 but what points I'm in the third is, quarter is well, it's four, a tough look. Let's let's, let's it's 47, sir. And oh, let's, sorry. Let's, if you give up 47 points in the third quarter, the pressure is on in the fourth. So all of this, like Jason Tatum just needs the pressure on. I'm like, what more do you need? It's the Eastern Conference Finals, and you just gave up 47 points, and you shot, you made no field goals in the fourth quarter. Stop being bad at basketball and go back to game seven <laughs> of the Sixers. Or just give the he's, ball to Robert really Williams. Good at game seven, though. Just give the ball to Robert Williams every time seven. down low. No one can stop the man. No one can stop the man. But I don't know who's worse. Kenley Jansen in the ninth or Jason Tatum in the fourth. It's just the Red Sox just and the Celtics just can't close out games right now. I'm about to get real mad and upset and probably the demonetize Bruins? the video. Can, can the Bruins close out series? <laughs> well, Look, the, the Bruins are win you 63 games in the regular season, and then right around when the playoffs come, they're just like, what is winning? I don't know. We just did it more than any other team in the history of a regular season. Why would we do it in the playoffs? Listen, at least in hindsight, they're going to lose to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, and it'll at least soften the blow a little bit. But let's get into mixed martial arts. We could talk Boston sports for another hour. I love that it's the most interesting week in MMA this whole year, and we've been talking Boston sports to start the show. Tr- what else would we enough. talk about in the world? What's happening? Well, MMA? We get we could talk about France and Gano no longer being a free agent. I mean, look, the Boston. You mean France and Gano that headlined a pay per view in Boston? That guy he did <laughs> in Boston at the TD Garden, and I believe the UFC is going back there, which I'm sure we're going to get mm-hmm. to, but. Francis Ngannou, former Boston fighter, signs a monster deal with the PFL to compete, to be an ambassador, to be the chairman of PFL Africa. He has a seat on whatever the global advisory board is. His opponents are going to make a minimum of $2 million to fight him. We don't know what he's making, but he says that he's got a pretty sweet guarantee. And if his opponents are making two mil per fight, you bet your bippies making a bunch more than that per fight when he gets in there. So, Jose, let us begin with you. Hmm. Your reaction to this deal and what has been your biggest takeaway since the announcement was made, whether it's from Francis, the PFL, the reaction to the fans, whatever road you want to travel, my friend. I feel like it was the worst kept secret in MMA where Francis was going to go. I mean, the second his, I, I believe it was his mom or his grandma posted the had the photos of her in the PFL shirt on his Instagram. It was just kind of where there's smoke, there's fire. And it just felt like we were waiting for the details of the contract rather than where he would sign. So all of this like, oh, BKFC one championship. Is he going to box Tyson Fury, which I still don't particularly care about. Um, I was literally just waiting for what the contract was going to be and good on him if all of this is he pretty much got uh, 
I know he said there were some things you can ask, like I think his phrase was like you can ask for the moon and you might not get everything. But uh, his at the end of the day, the prize fighters good on him for getting his uh, opponents uh, guaranteed a million dollars. A lot of people are like, oh, but he's not fighting in the UFC. Like he can get X amount of money and fight really high level opponents, or he can get X amount of money, get his opponents X amount of money, and fight you know still talented individuals just without the bright lights of the UFC. So good on him. Uh, I think Daniel Cormier said it best. It just it made MMA feel like legit or real where like free agency is now a big thing. And we saw Francis kind of lay the groundwork for what you could do, uh, especially if you're a champion. And I'm very curious if this is the first domino, like down the line, if like Aljamain Sterling becomes a free agent, if Alex Volkanovsky, Israel Adesanya, like not saying that they would leave the UFC, but these are big stars and they see what Francis got and did. And the PFL in Africa is obviously a very big thing because the PFL goes to Africa for a major event before the UFC. I'm sure Dana White's going to love that. So yeah, it just, it, it added more questions, but not on the France side. It's like, what will this do for the whole world of MMA? And I think in the next 12 months, we're going to get a lot of those answers, but it's going to go down as one of the more historic days and moments in MMA history. Jed, we got your immediate response to this on the podcast now. A great listen on the way to jury duty on Tuesday. But now that a couple of days have gone by and Francis has done some interviews, including with our own Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour, what has been your biggest takeaway from this news? Before I jump into that, speaking of great listens, I, this morning, listened to you, Shaheen Al-Shadi and, and Stephen Morocco, and you just gotta, you just gotta clap for for Shaheen for the pay Francis League, just <laughs> just nailed it with that one. Uh, well done. You guys could have stopped the pod three minutes in. He killed it. Uh, my biggest takeaway has changed, uh, and I know that this is you know not that old, but my sort of thoughts have evolved because my first thought, and I think still the dominant one is congrats. Like he he did the thing for all of the idiots and and imbeciles saying he fumbled the bag very clearly did not he got everything he wanted outside of money and by all accounts it would appear that he's also getting a, a sizable amount of money along with this my other thoughts and this has kind of got shaped by the reaction pod that y'all did yesterday as i was listening to that and thinking through this this morning i was like I don't know that this is a watershed moment. I think it can be. Like there, There's the potential for this to be the day we look back and say, that was sort of the first stone to fall and the sport had a, a tangible shift. I think a lot of that is going to depend on how well the PFL can survive. And that was something Stephen, Stephen said yesterday and I think really holds holds a lot of weight they have to survive this because I don't think all of us have been glowing about this for a lot of reasons. I, I think this is a great deal for the fighters. It should be a good deal for the fans, but I don't think anyone is really out here making the claim. And please correct me if I'm wrong, that this is good business. Francis Ngannou is more than likely not going to draw enough business to the PFL in the terms of eyeballs and pay-per-view buys to justify the price tag. And this is a bigger play from them. This is a play for notoriety. This is a, a marketing cost in a lot of ways. And, and I accept that. The problem is we've seen this happen before with other promotions who come out handing out, you know, gumdrops and, and 
dreams and then they fold very quickly. The PFL appears to have deep pockets. They appear to have a, a good, maybe good's not the right word, but a firm investment backing where this is the, the ultimate designs on this are probably a sellout later. Uh, and so a lot of that is, is willing to appropriate risks. They're willing to take on riskier contracts, riskier maneuvers like this. At some point, the rubber does meet the road here, though. And so I my question is if the PFL has to survive this for this to be a watershed moment. And if it does, then I'm really interested because you guys on, on the pod said something that also stuck with me. It was like, uh, and maybe it was Shaheen that said it. It was like I, the UFC isn't losing any sleep over this. They they don't care. They've won. And I think that a lot of that's true, right? The UFC isn't um, hugely reactionary to things like that because they do have a tombstone of failed promotions. But I think that a topic we're going to talk about in a minute here, very obviously Dana White's breaking news about 291 was a reaction to this news. Because this does affect them. They're, the numbers are too big. I mean, for the last year and a half, we've been talking about the PFL anyway as a draw for free agents because of the million-dollar price tag on a tournament structure. Like, hey, if you're a mid-level top 15 guy who's really never going to get a title fight, Neil Magny looking at you, why aren't you just trying to you know, play the million-dollar lottery of the PFL and that being an incentive structure? This is that on steroids, man. Also, funnily enough, given some other PFL news that's broken out recently. Like this is any heavyweight in the world right now, if you have any good business sense about you, is looking to go to the PFL as soon as possible. A $2 million purse is more than any heavyweight in the world is going to make other than John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Those are the only two heavyweights in the world are going to make more per fight. And I think that was a really savvy negotiation tactic from Nganu because we've we've talked about it. A lot of people have talked about it in the framing at he, you know, he's helping and wants to look out for other fighters. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like I'm not here to cast aspersions on Francis Nganu. I do think it's pretty noticeable that frankly, one of the best ways he could help out other fighters would have just been to straight up tell people how much he's getting paid. Uh, that secrecy doesn't help anyone else whereas like here's what is possible if you guys leave and him not doing that it i'm taking note of that but i think that that price tag for his opponent is maybe less about ensuring that other people get treated equitably though I'm, that's probably part of it but it's more ensuring that i can have competition that will have people still invested in me because that is the knock on this is that the pfl doesn't have anybody for him to fight nobody cares about him fighting ante delage or mateo sheffel and that's real but two million dollar price tag buys a lot of friends and i think that's what we're going to get here we're going to get the francis and ganu sweepstakes for anybody who's not currently under contract with the ufc and anybody who's even close to outside of that contract because God love Tai Tuivasa. He's never in the rest of his time in the UFC collectively will not make $2 million. Whereas he can fight out whatever is remaining in his contract, do his job, and then come come to PFL and make $2 million. That is that is a coup for, for any heavyweight out there. And I think that is the big thing to me that could make structural changes here. Jose, it's just seem, it seems like, and you talked about it, a lot of the questions here are on 
the PFL side? Like, how is this going to pay off? Because short term, you just nailed the biggest free agent on the market and he's happy as can be. And a lot of fighters reacted to this long term, as Jed was saying, gigantic investment for them. And it could pay off big, no doubt about it. But again, you spent a lot of money on this deal, it appears. You're going to pay four to six million dollars just to opponents of Francis Ngannou. So it's going to take a long time to get this money back. So what is the biggest question you have about this deal from the PFL perspective that you just don't have the answer to right now? How are they going to make money, I guess? Because if they're going to start handing out like like Jake Paul has that, what, the the revenue split share, whatever it is, if he's in a pay-per-view, if Francis has that too, and they're going to want to stack this big pay-per-view with all their biggest names kind of kicking the door, and you have like Francis, you got Jake Paul, maybe Clarissa Shields comes back, and you throw all these other fighters that they're going to entice with these offers, all of a sudden you got a bunch of revenue splits, and all of a sudden how are you making money? So I guess that's my big thing is – how much money is Francis actually getting? Because we heard what the UFC says they offer, but then we also heard what Francis says, don't believe everything you hear. Francis, for whatever reason, like Jed said, like just say how much you made because everyone should know how much everyone makes because that's how people get paid more and get paid what they're worth. So I guess my biggest question is, how much you pay in Francis and how are you going to make money if you're having all this revenue split and share in the super fight pay-per-view uh, cause I model, because what I don't want to say what got you to the dance. Cause I don't know how many people are watching PFL religiously. I know our own AK Lee does, but if someone is watching PFL because it's a different product from the UFC and you get these, this league stuff, this league format and you get seasons and you get like, Oh, season one PFL champion, two time defending PFL champion, like Lance Palmer and Kayla Harrison and can't Kayla Harrison go for the three P and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden you're moving away from that. I'm sure you're going to drum up a lot of interest from people who solely watch the UFC, especially with the Francis and the K especially if you can keep Kayla. I'm curious if they're just going to slowly, do away with as many seasons if they're especially if they're going to sign these big con these big name free agents because lord knows friend i can't imagine francis is ever going to be in a pfl season or a pfl tournament he could but i highly doubt it so let's see how you make money with francis especially if you're dumping a lot of money into two or three people at the top jed your big thing was can they survive and even steven said on that podcast like that he talked to somebody from the PFL and said, just don't go out of business. And this might work out well because I mean, look, it's a lot of money and we, and they went back to affliction and kind of compared it, not exactly the same, but kind of compared it to the, what happened with affliction paid a ton of money for big names. And then before they knew it, they were done and they were gone. So survival, it's a long time between now and 2024 before you can get Francis in there. And of course you want to get him on camera and get him on television and get people excited. But this news is going to get some eyeballs on the PFL for the next couple of cards. Cause there are people who had no idea who the PFL was before this news dropped. So what do they need to do to survive? What do they need to do to continue this momentum going downhill, going from a snowball to a snowman here? So I think they're in good shape to survive because I think honestly the critical piece for them is the is a willingness to to lose. They have to be willing to lose money for a while. And I think that they are that because that's like 
that's what did Affliction in. They they spent a ton of money. They didn't make any of it back, and there wasn't really a broader structural plan to to develop something or or an out. They they did not have an exit strategy packed in. They were like, we're going to do this. We're going to sell money. We're going to make it back. That didn't work. Uh, and so then the the powers that be stopped giving them money. Uh, there is rumblings that something similar may be going on with other promotions in this space. I don't think PFL is that way. Uh, based on the people kind of heading up their financials and sort of the stuff you hear talked about, they feel uh, like, frankly, they are a tech company, right? Like that's, they are uh, a Ponzi scheme, if you will. As a man who worked in a tech company for many years, uh, profitability was never something we cared about. And it wasn't something we were ever even actually close to uh, effectuating. It, it was just a thing. Like, uh, sure, one day we'll be profitable, but look at this cool stuff we're doing right now, all with the plan that someday somebody with a whole lot of money, too much money, will just buy us and then they can try and figure out what to do with this thing they've purchased. And it feels a lot like what the PFL is doing because they've got a good set of things working for them right now. The thing that they need is name recognition. You know, the UFC is currently valued at like $12 billion or something right like that. Like functionally, if you look at the the WME merger and how that's with uh, with WWE, you give them about a $12 billion valuation. So any you can go to a boardroom and be like, hey, the MMA space globally is probably worth $13 billion, like somewhere in that neighborhood. We just need to carve out a small piece of that to to kind of that's our business and the more we can carve out of that valuation the more we can grow you know develop into a profitable entity and here's all the stuff we already have we have uh we have we're running a different race than the ufc we are not strictly you know the best guider five guiding the best like it's not that they're doing the season format that is theoretically more digestible to western viewers they already have a deal with espn a broadcast rights deal with espn and that is a huge coup for them that they can hang their hat on. Hey, if this gets, we get this more popular, we can get more money out of this deal a la the UFC, then we're really starting to cook with gas here. The thing they don't have is brand recognition. They, they are lacking that in a major way. And that's what, where Francis comes in. Francis can help them in the immediacy with that, with a patina of credibility. We have the baddest man on the planet fighting for us. And theoretically can help the development of prospects, which is the other side of this. If you want to be a sustainable long-term business, you can't just steal the best fighters by paying them more money. You've got to also have homegrown talent. And so with UFC or with PFL Africa, with these other regional things that they say that they are trying to build up, then they can go there. So I think they have the the groundwork. Like I can see the roadmap. It is just whether they have the gumption to follow it. And my understanding based on everything else is that they're in this for that reason so they should survive but just don't don't get scared off if things don't go super well immediately it's a marathon not a sprint jose with mma it is a recency bias sport and whatever the big news is we react to it and it's like the whole thing and then that lasts like two or three days and we all know the ufc is the ufc they win every day uh shaheen al-shadi quote from the podcast 
They're far and away the number one promotion. They're so small to everybody else because they're so far ahead of them that it's not even funny. And they just make so much money on a daily basis. They can put on great cards. They can put on not so great cards and they can wipe away all the tears with $100 bills. And this news clearly, as Jed said, warranted a response from the UFC, which we're going to get into in round two. But as far as the overall pantheon of MMA promotions... What did this news do for the PFL immediately? Did it move them up the ladder above a one or a Bellator? Like Shaheen on our roundtable pod said he feels like this immediately puts them at number two. Do you agree with that? Yeah, without question. I mean, how many many promotions can you argue have the top fighter in a division that's not the UFC? Obviously, I guess flyweight slash bantamweight, if you want to count Demetrius Johnson a bantamweight, yeah with one championship and then francis at heavyweight and even i know john jones is john jones and i'm on record saying at the beginning of the year in our in our title prediction podcast that i said john jones would be the champion by the end of the year and probably the number one heavyweight but the fact that they they signs this is the biggest free agent signing in in how long like the michael Chandler one felt big the Kayla Harrison kind of sweepstakes was big, but when she when she went back to PFL, but even like when Yuri Manel Cop signed from Ryzen, like that was big for the MMA world. But this kind of transcended that. Like Francis Ngannou broke the news with the New York Times, which is obviously the New York Times. So this immediately slotted them into number two. And I would, I would go even go so far as if the if the UFC and PFL both put on a fight card at the same time the same day and francis was headlining the pfl one you the ufc would have to put a lot of high level and big names on that pay-per-view to pull attention away from francis's um debut in the pfl especially next year and especially if he does well in his boxing debut which is supposedly this year like if francis goes out there and for whatever reason beats a high level boxer and then goes to pfl that's going to be the big the biggest promote that card whenever it happens the pfl card is going to be the biggest mma card that month outside of like connor fighting habib or connor fighting nate diaz part three so uh, yeah it's immediately puts them in number two and i'm not saying they're close because ufc is very clearly number one uh by a long shot but it is this is the first time that i feel in a first time in a long time that a promotion has put even a dent into the ufc Jed, do you feel like they are number two right now with this deal, or is it just too soon to say? They're probably number two because in this particular context, like when when you're asking who's the second biggest MMA promotion in the world, I mean, perception is reality, right? Like that's the the financials here aren't are aren't going to be available frankly among any of these promotions and the kind of metrics you're judging by are going to be wildly variable anyway so i think for the last few years it's been bellator sort of by default um and i think bellator still has a credible argument to that strictly on the basis of we have the best we have the most good talent outside of the ufc i you know bellator fighters compose like 12% of our rankings or whatever the UFC has like 84 or something percent I did these numbers a few months back so I may not be up to date and then everybody else collectively makes up the less than 10% remaining so I think Bellator still has an argument even with Francis moving over but Bellator doesn't have anything 
approaching the cachet of this at this point in time. Like this is this is a move to make yourself known. And for PFL's many faults, and I think they have a number of them, uh, the last year and a half, last 18 months or so, they have really invested in becoming a known commodity, which I think is the biggest sort of step for them. And this definitely gives them that that cachet. This gives them the the patina of credibility. So they probably have taken number two here. Uh, that may change over the next few months, though, the longer Francis is just there and not fighting, right? Because this is new and exciting and interesting. And so certainly right now, this is the this is the thing. But come September, when Francis is still not there and we don't know what Kayla Harrison's doing because she doesn't seem to be in the tournament, but who else is she going to fight? And there's, you know, the seasons are going, but who really cares about the heavyweight tournament other than as potentially a sweepstakes with Francis? Like it'll taper off. So maybe one puts together a big card or something, but I would say, yeah, right now they've got the, they've got the ring. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there just yet. Um, I think Bellator's there, but their gas light is on and PFL just filled up the tank and they're moving. Yeah. They're moving closer. Here's the There's problem no with about. Bellator being there because I agree. If you are just looking at the merits of the fighters on roster, Bellator has been the number two promotion for a very long time. And as long as they don't sell themselves to PFL or somebody else, they probably will hold it because they have done a phenomenal job of building from the ground up. They do an incredible job of investing in young, uh, investing in youth and talent development as a full credit to them. The problem is, Mike, when was the last time Bellator did anything that made headlines or made people care or galvanized them in this way? Ever? Have they ever done something that got the whole MMA community talking and being like, hell yeah, except for maybe the like the last time I could even think is in the neighborhood here is when they did the uh, the Grand Prix like show thing or whatever where the dudes got to pick who they were fighting which was like kind of fun and interesting like that was it but i don't even think that really hits in the same way that francis signing with the pfl did so they're just bellator all i'll say is and and this is something i I said on the roundtable show pfl is gas has gassed up the vehicle they are on their way and they're going to get some extra eyeballs on, on them the next couple of cards when they go back to atlanta Francis ain't fighting for a minute. They got buzz and they got a ton of curiosity, but they need to make sure that these next couple of cards coming up go well. And I'm not saying that these fights need to be like the best fights of the year. I'm not saying they all need to be Izzy versus Gastelum, but it needs to be an enjoyable experience for the viewer. The pacing needs to be better. They can't just pull a a Boston Celtics and play with their food here. They need to act they need to make sure that the new eyeball see a product that not only produces some decent action, but that everything goes smooth and everything is just kind of boom, 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 because they can lose momentum real quick if Twitter, if the Twitter feeds fill up after three, four consecutive cards, like we always see, oh, the pacing is brutal. This is taking forever. It's got to be an enjoyable experience. They need to use this momentum to their advantage, but Francis need, you know, Francis being there. Good stuff, but now we get to deliver on that before his debut. And if we can keep this momentum going until his debut comes, they put on another pay-per-view that delivers and storyline at the end of the year. 
this could be a very interesting next year for the PFL. So that's Francis, his new deal, his new home. I'm sure we'll be talking more about Francis when we figure out who the hell he's going to box, but we will get to the UFC's response to this news coming up next. But the point for round one goes to... It goes to Jose Youngs, and Jose didn't even have to say a word, and he was getting the point because Jed is a Boston sports hater, and it made me sick to my stomach. I don't even want to really talk to you right now, but I feel better about stuff. I just looked at those upcoming PFL shows in Atlanta. Uh, let's just say that they are not going to be building on this momentum here. Look, just have like cards that go by quicker than 18 hours and i think you have something here just go in do the fights tell the stories and get to the next fight we can't be waiting 45 minutes between fights it's just brutal to watch pfl cards for that not waiting 45 minutes to watch josh silveria fight delon monty jeez well let's talk about the ufc more hamlet sam kai oh god this is awful (laughs) I'm going to be at these shows and I don't even want to go now. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So several hours after this Francis news drops, Dana White goes live in the studio, UFC headquarters, 
And he announced a whole bunch of fights, two locations for pay-per-views, even snuck in a power slap promo at the end of it. Announces UFC 291, July 29th, Salt Lake City, the main event, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje 2, which is a sick fight on its own, but now it's for the now vacant BMF title with Jorge Mazadal retiring. We got Jan Bohovic, Alex Pereira at 205. We got Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green, Michael Chiesa, Kevin Holland, Paulo Costa versus Isram Alaskarov, which is wild. Wonder Boy versus Michelle Pereira, Derek Lewis, Marcos Ruggieri de Lima. Those are prelim fights. That fight, the Lewis Ruggieri de Lima fight in elevation should be something. He also announces the UFC's return to Boston, August 19th, UFC 292. Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley for the Bantamweight title, the main event. Zhang Wei Li, Amanda Lemos for the strawweight belt, the co-main event. And as both of these gentlemen sort of alluded to, and Jed especially, there's no doubt this was a strategic move by the UFC to try to steal some headlines away from the Francis News. If you feel otherwise, you haven't been paying attention. But guess what? I ain't hating on it. I don't blame Dana at all for it. And this is what you should do in the position you are in as the head honcho. So I have no issue with this whatsoever. No issue with the breaking of the bunch of news and all these fights to slide people's eyes and ears elsewhere. That's what you should do. But Jed, how did these announcements land for you? When Dana goes on social and says, hey, be back here in 30 minutes. I got some news for you. And then this is what we got. How do you grade them? Did this accomplish what you feel they set out to accomplish? No, it super didn't do that. Um, look, I, I, we were recording No Bets Barred at the time this happened, and so we reacted in real time. And when we got like saw the hey Dana's going to make an announcement in thirty minutes, my immediate reaction was oh. Well, I know why he's doing this. He's got to he's got to get one back over PFL and Francis and try and muddy up the the news cycle. And that's definitely why he did this. And so my thought was, okay, we're gonna get Stipe John Jones is gonna be announced. I don't know what card it will be for, but for, you know, Dana woke up, saw this headline, called down, was like, hey, we all know this is coming. We're just it's taken forever. Get the get the ball over the line here so I can announce this in, in a couple of hours. And that's not it. And instead, I mean, look, I'm not here to shit on the fights. Poirier Gaethje too is going to be awesome. Um, don't love that any of this is happening in Utah, frankly. Uh, but that's that would just be my caveat for the whole of 291. Like, we've done elevation. Stop doing it. It never is good. The fights are always worse because at most three people on the fight card have the money to like actually go and prepare properly. And so the rest of this is going to be – if Derek Lewis and Marcus, Marcus Rogerio de Lima don't knock each other out in the first four minutes, it's going to be the worst fight you've ever seen because that's just how this works. So my reaction was one, I was disappointed because I thought we were going to get the John Jones Stipe announcement. Two, I was pretty pumped about us actually getting Poirier Gaethje because that's cool. Three, oh, we're getting it at elevation. That might that fight up. I don't really know how I feel about that. The rest of the fights I don't like. They're fine. Um, they're good. Like they're good fights, but they aren't something that makes me think like I can't wait for the end of July now. It's just like oh, that will actually be a good pay per view instead of a bad one. And then the two ninety two stuff was weirder to me um, as well, where I was just like. I'm not mad about him, but I don't know how I feel about the quick turnaround for Sterling when he's got some injuries and may or may not be taking this fight a little bit lightly the way he's talked about Sean O'Malley. And like, yeah, I probably could 
spend some time to recover, or I could just get a bag of money and beat this dude who sucks. And that doesn't feel like the right way to approach a title fight to me at all. I'm not a professional fighter, so I could totally be wrong. And then the Zhang Limos fights, like it's not bad, but it's odd. Like pretty clearly we should just be doing Zhang Yan Xiaonan. And if we can't do it on this timeline, that's fine. You could push it back a month or two. Like that's very clearly the fight as opposed to Amanda Limos who less than a year ago got throttled by the woman who Jan just sent to the depths of hell. So I don't, I it's just a weird fight. It's all of it weird. And then you add in the, the Bantam or the, the uh, BMF fight. And I'm just like, I don't know. None of these are bad. None of them are bad, but none of these are taking away from the fact that Francis Ngannou is now no longer a free agent. And he signed arguably the most lucrative deal in the history of the sport. Jose, how do you grade this slew of fight announcements from Dana White on Tuesday? Just on the fights themselves, I mean, I love everything about these fights. Don't particularly care about the timing whatsoever. We obviously know why he, why Dana White announced them when he did it, and it was obviously to pull attention away from Francis Ngannou because I'll tell you what, I had Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje in Salt Lake City graphic made a good six, seven hours before the he announced it because I had a feeling that that was coming the second Francis was made. And I was just trying to be, you know, prepared for when chaos erupted and I was driving down the street and I had to pull over to the, on the That's, side of the freeway to use my hotspot <laughs> to build eight fight graphics. And I'm like, I should have seen That's all these coming, but the business, I don't know why y'all, but there are some fights that I like that. I was like, I thought Jan Blahovich was going to middleweight. I thought Bobby Green was I had I thought Tony Ferguson was going to stay at welterweight and I thought you know Paulo Costa might fight a light heavyweight and then fight Hamza at middleweight but the fact that he's fighting Ikram at middleweight was not on my bingo board whatsoever uh, and then obviously the other ones like Stephen Thompson Michelle Pereira we've been hearing for a long time Michael Chiesa Kevin Holland I think there's a there's some seed of dissension between those two I don't know quite know what it is and then Derek Lewis in Salt Lake City. For a, guy, for a website that likes to pride themselves on liking bad heavyweight MMA, it's surprising that this fight had such negativity towards it because I'm like, the second this announced, I'm like, well, I know what MMA fighting's fight to watch out for on this card's going to be. It's going to be Huffin and Puff and Derek Lewis versus Marcos Higirio de Lima. And now we're talking about Let's how be this clear. fight is lame in SLC. Hey, it's Let's my time. Let's be clear. Time. I'm the one who out. likes bad heavyweight MMA. Don't yeah. put that evil on the rest of you people. That's a me thing. How many – there is literally an emoji for Parker Porter on our Slack channel. <laughs> yeah, good, that good heavyweight that, MMA. That, that Sorry, everyone – Good heavyweight loses, MMA. Loses. Let's pretend that that's true for a second. Um, so this fight card gets announced. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. I don't care if the BMF title is on the line or not. I just want to see that fight. I was at the first one, and that fight rules. I like that this is it, Altitude. It's this fight specifically, because these guys are maniacs, and I'll see. The, I'll watch them fight on a sunken ship in full in full aquatic gear, and I will be excited. Jan Alex, great. Again, just confused because I thought Jan was going to middleweight. There's just a lot of questions on all these fights, but every single one of these fights rules, and I understand why Dana White announced him what he did. But like Jed said, it doesn't take anything away. The biggest story of the week is Francis signing the biggest contract and most lucrative contracts in the history of this young sport. And then the Boston thing, I'm happy for the Boston fans. I feel bad for Aljo. Um, I 
can't imagine he was even aware that he had accepted a fight when Dana announced it. When Dana White announced it, I'm like, I don't think Aljamain Sterling knows he's fighting Sean O'Malley in Boston. And then all of a sudden we're seeing these reports of like Ray Longo being like, I'm not aware of Aljamain Sterling taking a fight against Sean O'Malley in Boston. His hand or whatever isn't even clear. I'm like, that tracks. And then I understand the Zhang Weili, Amanda Lemos, maybe. I, I Obviously it should be Yan and Weili, but if they want to do that in China, you, got, you can't just keep – Whaley on the shelf that long the last time she fought was november now she's fighting in august if she wins maybe it buys them more time to do that big event in china that's just going to draw a lot of interest between two chinese fighters fighting in the main event for the title again every single fight announced i love every single fight they announced is fantastic and has some sort of you know as an mma i know mmafighting.com talks a lot about people named salt poppy and phase temper and god knows who else is fighting on these god-awful youtube boxing cards and for whatever reason maybe a year from now will be youtubeboxing.com not mmafighting.com but as someone who still writes for mmafighting.com i like all of these mma fights they are a lot of fun let's go back to talking about mma and having fun watching mma because all of these fights are fun and i love them all and also let's let's be perfectly clear the ufc ain't like calling Salt Lake City on the phone, being like, hey, can we come to your city? No, they're calling yeah. them saying, here's a big bag of money. Please come to our Correct. city. And they're like, okay, I will accept that big bag of money and we will bring all of these very interesting fights uh, to your city. So, Jed, I, can we talk about this BMF title thing? Because this thing just really drives me bananas. Because why are we doing this? Why? Because this fight is incredible, it doesn't need a gimmick, but. If we're going to do a gimmick, Jed, why can't we just be more creative? Like, this is the ultimate fighter of gimmicks. It's the same thing we did before. We've already done this. We know how to, like, can't we just create a new gimmick title for this instead of doing the BMF title thing? It's just so silly. It doesn't need it. But if we're going to do it, like, let's be a little, let's be a little more out of the box with it, shall we not? Golly. I'm actually fine with this. Like, I... I'm not fine with the execution. It's the same thing as which really makes it perfectly BMF because the original BMF <laughs> belt, uh, as we all recall, Nate Diaz invented it. He he spoke it into into creation, and it was this dynamic and cool and fun thing. And then uh, because capitalism, the UFC took it and made it uh, this ghost, shitty, awful belt that looks like trash uh, that they just gave to Masvidal and then never did anything with it. So. That's just how this works. It's how really corporate entities work in general. They take a fun, creative idea and then they make it shit. Uh, and so the UFC is kind of continuing along the lines of here is still a fun idea and they could make this cool. Like I'm, I love the idea that there's at least a gimmick because the UFC doesn't even do those because of their absolute disdain for promotion of any kind. I like that this is at least the minutest of effort to be interesting because they gave up interesting so long ago. What they could and should be doing is like, hey, vacant BMF belt. We're going to do it because frankly, great fight for any idea of what a BMF belt would represent. This is an ideal fight for it. What they should do is like, here are the rules of it too. It's a vacant belt and it doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't move along the same lines as a lightweight title does or whatever. Here are the, the ways in which it can be competed for or change hands. Or you could just come out and say, like, actually, you just get to own it. When you when you win the BMF belt, you own it until you retire. And at the point that you retire, then we just give the next two people get up and fight for it. And that's how just get some sort of actual structure to it as opposed to being fully a shiny object to put on a promotional poster. You could at least give this layers. It's like you ever watch John wick and John wick one's awesome. And it's just like really cool. And it's just a man on a mission movie. People kill his dog and they get there. And then the second one, they start unraveling layers of this cool world. Do that with the belt. You had the first one. It was a good idea that you kind of fumbled on, but whatever. Now the second one, let's unravel some pieces of this and what it means to be a BMF and how you get to fight for it. And what are the rules of transition? Can you only win it by knockout? Like if this goes to a decision... Do, do we get a BMF champion? I don't know. We could figure all this out. They're not going to, but we could. And this could be a stepping stone moment for the UFC to start doing the thing I've literally begged them to do for years, which is add more titles, not to weight classes because no one gives a shit, just to like do cool titles that are worth nothing but worth everything. Maybe it will be that way. Let's be optimistic that somebody will have fun for one time ever in the UFC. I mean, if they did that originally, I'd be with you because this is like, this is the one time, one and only time this title is ever going to be put on the line. And then that just wasn't true. Like we could do this, like the all violence title or just something. The, cool. That's like, the thing is, this should, we already should have done the all violence title. It was freaking Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez was the most violent man alive. And it should have been a crown of thorns. Like, I don't know why we didn't do it then just a steel crown of thorns that you get to wear as the most violent man on earth. And we didn't do it. And we could do the same thing here. And instead they're going to make it shitty, but you, you're, you let's be optimistic, Mike. Come on. I'm trying to be happier these days. I'm surprised to hear you say this. I got to be honest with you. You're, you're, you're. T if, if we could develop a set of rules and some guidelines and a roadmap for this BMF title, maybe. Pretty I'm with sure Caposa already has rules for it. <laughs> like, just use Caposa's rules for it. What for are we BMF? nitpicking here? What's this fight we're talking about? Who, who are the two men fighting? About the BMF. Yeah, who are the two men fighting no, in this? We're not talking about the fight. We're talking about the title. The fight oh. is obviously amazing. Yeah, I ain't got yeah, shit so to like, say bad about that fight. We're, we're talking about the fight. title. We're These two guys the deserve their between... own original championship is what sure. I'm trying to say. Sure, I get what you're saying. But we're nitpicking Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. They can no, fight over uh, – not, uh, not nitpicking that fight at all. They can fight over a bouquet of flowers and I'll be like, all right, I'm here for it. Don't give a shit if there's a – anything on the line or not exactly and that's my issue with this because it didn't need it and if we're going to do it let's just do something fun and this could be i'm fun, curious I'm my question sure. is when dana white woke up that day was this for the bmf title or the second he saw francis sign with the pfl he's like bmf put it on the line like yep. that's definitely my that question Defi yeah, you know definitely number two definitely the latter yeah. hey, hey give me the belt back francis signed with the pfl <laughs> Jed, I mean, you've been so positive. I'm going to ask you a Debbie Downer type question. Um, of all these fights, look, all these fights aren't going to happen. We know this. Something's going to fall Hell off. Hell no. For whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, Which fight is fun. the least likely to happen on the date that it has been announced of all these fights mm -hmm. that are announced? 
least likely to happen. Now, I'm interested to hear what Jose thinks the easy answer is for it. I I guess I have to go with uh, Paulo Costa, Iker Malaskarov, just because I don't have a ton of faith in Paulo Costa in general, um, particularly against a dude who like Paulo Costa might just wake up and be like, I don't care to fight this young man. I don't know this man. I, I'm, I don't want to fight him. I would rather not do that. Or he might blow weight by like 20 pounds. So like, I'm just going to pick that one for, for those reasons. Jose, are you with him? No, I mean, I have no faith that Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley is going to happen in Boston the day it was announced because, like I said, I don't think Sean, uh, Aljamain Sterling was even aware that, that he had accepted a fight. Dana's like, this fight's happening. And Al's just like, big if true, big if true. So I would have to imagine that, like like he said, he wanted a fight in September. He said he calls the shots. O'Malley doesn't call the shots. He's not 100%. Yet he wanted like x-rays back. And he said he gained a bunch of weight because when you lose that much weight, you gain it all back pretty rapidly after. He posted that side-by-side photo where he just looks real soft. As I said, he looks like a bag of soup. Uh, it's... I don't know. Just something about that has shades of remember when they announced DJ was going to fight like TJ Dillashaw and then DJ was like, no, I'm not. And then he put out that statement and just the fight never happened. It's shades of that. They're putting, obviously they're putting pressure on Aljamain Sterling uh, to take this fight. Maybe they throw a big wad of cash at him to do it. Cause he, like he said, like Jed said, he's talking a big game saying it's an easy fight. Maybe Dana Woods like, well, if it's that easy, you can take it on short notice. And, now Sean O'Malley gets seven months to prepare for Aljamain Sterling, and Aljamain Sterling gets two months and still not 100%, still has the bicep injury, still has the neck issues. He's not – I can't imagine he's going to – he's even remotely ready to jump back in, in camp. I think the easy answer would have to be Aljo versus O'Malley because I don't think Aljo even <laughs> accepted the fight. I just think Data White announced it. Okay. So, Jose, I'll go back to you. And I'll ask you the same question, Chad. Let's just say that is the case. And Aljo goes and sees whoever needs to see next week. And they're like, nah, dude, probably not going to happen. You can't train for like three or four weeks. What happens then? Hmm. Is Sean O'Malley still going to fight on that card? Interim title? I bet do they, they do. An, they're they going to have Dana White's going to do an interim title because it's the UFC. And like, remember Cyril gone fought Derek Lewis for an interim title, like a month. They announced that like a month or so after Francis won the title and they didn't even give him time to celebrate the, the victory. So at that point, it's just going to be Sean O'Malley versus some sort of combination of maybe Marab if Marab's healthy, but I know if Marab won't, doesn't want to fight Aljo. So maybe he just waits and heals up. Corey Sanhagen could obviously do it. Maybe they just pull Henry Cejudo out because Henry Cejudo, if he beats Sean O'Malley, then he gets the rematch he so desperately wants. Um, obviously, Umar is out there. It's just going to be O'Malley versus fill in the blank, but I would have to imagine it would be in the interim title because they've they've made interim titles for less. Like Colby Covington fought RDA for an interim title. Um, like Cyril Gaon fought Derek Lewis for an interim title. They've made like interim titles for a lot less, so... Yeah, interim title, O'Malley versus fill in the blank in Boston. Jed, is Sean O'Malley definitely fighting in Boston with or without Aljamain Sterling? I don't know because, like, reflexively I want to agree with Jose, but when you fill in that blank, as he says, 
not a lot of names that are super viable, right? Like maybe you can throw look, I if if Aljo can't physically can't do it, Marab would be the next light like most obvious choice. But Marab seems not to be able to do it either. And also, I'm really not sure Marab would fight for an interim belt against the big money fight that Aljo theoretically wants as his last one in the division. So probably strike Marab off. Cejudo, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for the UFC, but the end result could be you're running back Cejudo Sterling, and I don't know the appetite for that for any side other than potentially Cejudo. So then you're at Corey Sandhagen would be okay, but is that moving the needle like enormously for you as the UFC? And again, potentially you're removing the opportunity for O'Malley to fight for the undisputed title, a really dangerous style matchup against Corey Sandhagen. Cheeto would be the best one, but Cheeto just lost to Sandhagen. So there's not like a super great opponent for the UFC to book him in an interim fight with. And frankly, if the UFC starts doing that, I think Aljo just says YOLO and just like fights him with one arm or whatever. It's like fine because any of these fights really jeopardizes my chance to get these pay-per-view points to to get this thing happening. So, uh, okay, my shoulder doesn't really work. I'll, I'll just do it because otherwise I will lose this bag forever and I'm not willing to do it. So I think ultimately we're probably just going to get that fight. But if it doesn't, for like if sterling really can't i think i have i think i come down on the side of they'll just try and replace it with something else um whatever that is i don't know but they'll they'll go to the well and try to find a new fight because there's nothing that makes a ton of sense as far as i'm concerned for o'malley to fight as a as an interim i thought we were going to get possibly because of the timeline i thought this was like where we're going to get Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington because so like, yeah, maybe they when are we going to do it? Like when is this fight going to happen now? Cause September's in Sydney, which is, could be a whole other issue because Izzy's obviously going to fight on that card, but you have Whitaker and DDP fighting. That, that fight's not going to happen. That. I am no so way. convinced that they are going to pull that fight off. That somebody is finally going to not be a total dipshit and be like, mm-hmm. Oh, Izzy's about to fight in Australia and we need him to fight somebody. Hmm. They're like someone has cooler heads have to prevail. They're gonna they're gonna kill that fight. They just have to. Yeah. They're gonna there's gonna be some shuffling going on. There's gonna have to be. Well, let us move on. Let's shuffle on over to the UFC Apex, shall we? The point for round two goes to Jed Mishu. It's one to one. And I know Jed is only on this panel to talk about this topic in particular. UFC Vegas 73. Yes, it's coming up on Saturday. (laughs) We're back in the apex. The main event is Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. Look, this is not the greatest card. There are some pretty competitive fights on this card, but it's a tough one. And I think we're kind of in the middle of this sort of tough stretch of cards. This is kind of like spring training season if you will for the ufc and i'm not trying to be disrespectful like good for the fighters go in there and make that money but star power these cards aren't spectacular but jose let's let's try to find some positives here let's try to find some some intrigue it could be anything could be any fighter any fight could be the main event the opening prelim i don't care what's the biggest question you have what's the Mm. most intriguing thing on this card to you Ooh. 
There's not a, usually it's my biggest question is has title implications, but I don't see a whole lot of title implications on this card. Like Mackenzie Dern, Angela Hill obviously wasn't the original main event. It just got pushed back a week. Was this the original main? Oh no, this was the Rocky Irene fight card, right? Yes. And then Irene is now fighting Amanda. So like, obviously that had title implications because the winner of that would be fighting for the title. Obviously now Irene filled in for Juliana. <sighs> I don't I have I guess my biggest question is this entire card is like what's at stake with any of these fights outside of a paycheck. Like obviously Michael Johnson did his whole media scrum where he's like I'm thirsty for a, a UFC title. I'm like probably not going to happen anytime soon. I guess the winner of the main event between McKenzie and Angela Hill will obviously have the biggest title implications, but they're not going to be fighting for the title this year or maybe even early next year. They're probably going to have to win one, maybe two more. Like Angela Hill is on a win streak, which is good for her because for at one point she had lost like five of six, and now she's on a two-fight win streak. And if she wins again over Mackenzie Dern, that's three in a row. Mackenzie Dern's obviously a really popular name. She's coming off a loss against Yan Zhao Nan, who a lot of people, including people on this panel, think should be fighting for the title, which is the right one, which will eventually happen. But because of that, who knows? She's going to have to win at least two more. And then Edmund and – I'm looking at the card now because I can't even think of it off the top of my head. Like Anthony Hernandez and Edmund's fun, but like they're not even – I guess they're fighting for a ranking. Emily Dakota, Lupi is a short notice. Andre Fialo, Joaquin Buckley, someone's going to sleep in that fight. So I guess my biggest question is, what do any of these fights matter? Actually, I'm very excited to watch Clay and Carpenter fight because that man used to beat the shit out of me in training camp when I was an amateur fighter. So I always want to see him win. So I guess that's what I'm excited for, to watch my own training partner fight again in the UFC. But other than that... I have literally no idea what any of the stakes are for any of these fights. That fight's not. Is that fight still happening on this card? Is it Carpenter not? Ersig? That, I, nope. Yeah, it's, it's off. off right? no. Well, <laughs> then there goes my happy days. <laughs> Jed, what is Wikipedia the still has it up, but Tapology says yeah. it's canceled. So I assume bastards. It's okay, it's all right. Jed, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> we're just, What's, we're just what is the most? About, What's the most intriguing uh, thing on this card to you? Oh, nothing. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, how soon can it be over? Is that the answer? Uh, you were generous by saying that this is they're in a downslope of events. There, are, there's like one event worth anything this summer, and it's two ninety or whatever. Like this is that's just the truth. Like I don't know what to tell you. Two eighty nine has two fights that matter on it. Um, in like the strictest definition of that, but there ain't nothing here for anybody. Like if you just want to watch fights, fine, there are fights on and some of them might be good. They, this is a reasonably competitively booked card. I'm not here to say that this is awful, but if you like many people are of the opinion that there needs to be something going on in the fight, there's some sort of hook outside of just, I'm oh, going to watch some people fist fight today. Uh, there's nothing here for you. This I've been calling this fight card, uh, the, the fight card of prospects who never were, because you got a lot of those. You got a lot of people who at one point in time, somebody thought some, some way about McKenzie Dern, Edmund Shabazian, uh, uh, Chase Hooper, uh, Kovalkiewicz did at least fight for a title, but you know, you got a lot of like that, that level of fighter of showed promise at some point in their career, but never really backed it up. And that's just what we get again. 
mostly competitive fights. If you have nothing else to do on, on Saturday night, worse ways to spend a Saturday, worse things to watch on television, but we're not going to talk about this fight card ever. Like it's just, this is never going to be a fight card. We're like, man. And that's when the McKenzie Dern run really started in earnest or she'd be like, yeah, there were fights. Uh, we, uh, we fulfilled our promote our obligations to ESPN and, uh, on to the next one, which is also just a collection of fights that don't mean anything. That's, that's what the summer is. Ladies and gentlemen, a collection of fights that mean very, very little. Buckle I haven't up. said we get Natalia Silva back in there. I like watching her fight. She is she is fun. She's exciting. She's she's the best prospect on this card. Like the best. What is she like a minus eleven hundred favorite? Something insane. She's like the only person on this card that there is a, even an avenue for them to be majorly relevant in the next five years. Like Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill are as relevant as they're ever going to be, probably. Well, I do want to touch on Mackenzie real quick because Jed, she's had a bit of a tough run. She's talked a lot this week about things she's gone through personally behind the scenes, lost two out of three. There are a lot of folks who believe she's lost all three of those fights because they thought Tisha Torres beat her at UFC 273. And I think we've all seen the potential there, Jed, like the bread and butter of her game is top notch and she has evolved a little bit in her striking, but there's a couple of elements of her game that are just missing that if she could figure out, could make her a pretty big problem in this division. And we've talked a lot about that. But heading into this fight right now, where do you gauge her potential levels like right this second? Do you feel any confidence that at some point we will see Mackenzie Dern fight for a UFC title? No, zero confidence in that. I, that's the ceiling. The ceiling is fighting and winning titles. But uh, she is not a prospect like she is not some somebody who like she's 30 years old she's grown-ass woman she's been doing this for like eight years or some some like not insignificant amount of time like this is not oh she's just got to figure these things out the cake is largely baked you're gonna be who you are and she needs she needs two things that she does not appear to have and i have no confidence that she'll get them if she comes into this fight and immediately takes angela hill down uh that will be a huge thing. Like, oh, look, she like has learned real takedowns instead of the same awful stuff she's been trotting out there. And more important for me is if she could just be mean, like she she is not mean enough to fight for a belt. That is as plain and simple as I can put it because if you look at the history of MMA, there's like maybe one dude who ever fought for a title and wasn't a, a mean mother in there and it's Damian Maya is like the only dude I can think of who wasn't mean because you have to be trying to hurt people you cannot try and cuddle them to death because that doesn't work and if McKenzie like McKenzie Dern could have beaten Yan Nan, the number one contender she had all the opportunity in the world but because she couldn't find a choke Yan got up and then Jan outpointed her over it. Like if Dern had stopped trying to choke her and just tried to put her fist through Jan's head, that fight would have been over. And we'd be talking about, holy shit, Mackenzie Dern might be that, that dude. Like she might be that dude, but she has never shown a willingness to do that. And until she does, I have zero confidence that that's in her. The game ain't in everybody. And I don't think that part's in her. And so no, she's never going to fight for a title until she gets that. Jose, I know you. when we ask these types of hypotheticals, if you will, you like to wait and see how things play out. But just 
go with your gut here. Do you feel like people are jumping off the Mackenzie Dern train prematurely? What do you think? I think they're they got one foot off. That's for sure. Um, Will I? I have no idea if she will ever fight for a title because I guess like straw weight has kind of been a hot potato at the top of the division for so long, and I feel like she's a popular enough name in the eyes of. Uh, you know, she she is a, one of the more popular fighters in the strawweight division. So I, anytime that happens, the UFC, she wins two in a row. They might just stick her in a title fight because they want her in the title fight, and there's just no one else. I think people are the there there. There's a foot off if she loses this one, and that's three of four, uh, especially to Angela Hill, who historically hasn't done great against you know grapplers, where she's been submitted a few times. If she doesn't beat Angela, especially in a main event, I think it's – I don't know if she'll ever fight for a title. This is going to be a make-or-break fight for her title aspirations, at least for the foreseeable future. She wins. Obviously, she wins a couple more. She could fight for the title. This is just a lot of what-ifs. I just I don't know. I don't know. That's the answer. Again, like I said, I don't know what the title implications are. The implications are for any of these fights on this card. Does she, but if she doesn't beat Angela Hill, then for the foreseeable future, she's not going to be anywhere near a UFC title fight. And shout out to Angela Hill, always down to clown, always down to get in there and chuck him with whoever. And we'll see what happens this Saturday in the main event. We'll be covering it. MMAfighting.com. If you want to watch it, great. If you don't, we will have you covered. So point for round number three goes to... (laughs) Jed Mishu. It's two to one. Wikipedia let Jose down, but Mm -hmm. we shall move on. Uh... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So yesterday or Wednesday, for those listening after the fact, the new documentary McGregor Forever dropped on Netflix, a four-part series. It's, a ses- it's essentially documenting everything from the build to the Habib Nurmagomedov fight through his two losses to Dustin Poirier, the leg injury, some of the recovery process since the second or the third Poirier fight, and uh, a whole bunch of other behind-the-scenes stuff. And MMA fighting, we were prevalent throughout. AK was in there, his face, his voice. Jose's voice is in there. I believe my voice is in there. Mike, your, your voice well. was in there a good amount of time as well. But uh, it, honestly, like to me, it was interesting getting some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on certain things during that timeline, which was a very interesting one for the life and career of Conor McGregor. So, Jed, we'll begin with you. Maybe you saw it all. Maybe you saw some. But this is going to be one part to this question. And then, Jose, you could do so as well. From what you have seen, uh, be the Siskel and Ebert here. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs just on your hand. Give it a grade. Uh, 
it's not good. <laughs> it's it's not bad. Like it's a pretty well produced thing. Like they the people doing it are professionals, but uh I'd, if you are not a McGregor like diehard, then th- there's nothing in it for you. Um if you're a McGregor diehard, you probably are into it. There were like maybe two things that I had some mild in uh, interest in and seeing just some of the behind the scenes stuff. But even that there, that was not a big enough draw for as long as it is. It has two really big flaws for me. The first is it's not a mini series. I don't know why they did it other than they just fucking wanted to make that a two hour doc, man, like make it a two hour documentary. And instead of four episodes where I, it was just tough. It's parts of it. The second is, and this is to be expected, but um, it, it it is telling a story. It is um, it is presenting an idea of Conor McGregor. Calling it a documentary is um, using that term extremely loosely. It is presenting a narrative of who they would like to portray Conor McGregor as, uh, and they they even try to sell it to you early with to be like, look, Connor did the bad stuff when he threw the dolly at the bus. He's that was bad. He was in a bad space, and fighting is hard, and it hurts you mentally. And and that's why he lost too, is because he came in it with anger. Um, that was honestly the funniest part. They kept because Connor. You, we all know how Connor's career has gone lately. He's just lost a whole bunch. And the doc presents each of the fail, like the first the Habib thing is like he lost because he had a very negative camp and then he had a great camp and that's why he beat Cerrone. And then it's like, but then he also loses to Dustin Poirier. And that's the problem in it is it's telling, it is trying to convey a story of the hero, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is not a hero by almost any definition in this time window. Now you could tell a story of Conor McGregor as a hero, but you got to go back further because over the last, since the Habib fight, more bad than good. And that's just the truth of the matter. Look up Conor McGregor controversy tab on Wikipedia. It's probably a thousand words long and they leave a lot of that out. They don't mention, they mention the arrest for the bus incident. They don't mention any of the other arrests for punching the old dude in the pub or whatever. This is not trying to be an honest assessment of Conor McGregor over the past four or five years. This is, we want to tell you the story of why you should love this guy. And when he does come back, why it's, it's great. And it's a triumph and they don't, then that's the the biggest flaw of it all to me is that I came into this thinking this was about his return and recovery. Almost nothing in, is in involving that. Like almost nothing has to do with him getting back from the horrific leg break. It's just all the ancillary shit before then. So uh, I would, strongly recommend no one watch it unless you're a big Connor fan. If you are, then go for it. You're probably going to enjoy the hell out of it. But if you're just an MMA person, there's not a lot here for you as far as I'm concerned. Jose, what say you? What's your so I'm not, uh, critical? I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent done with it yet. Um, I've been, I've been trying to focus on it, but a lot of these fights I was at. So I'm like, oh, I I've seen this. I know how this fight ends. Um, and obviously Connor is never not in the headlines. So I feel like a lot of it is just kind of like if you've been in this MMA space, you know what's coming in these timelines. And like Jet said, they've glossed over or if they lack of mentioning a lot of things that have happened in his life that have been in the headlines negatively. The parts to me that I've 
enjoyed are the parts immediately after fights when like they're backstage like when he loses to habib and dana's in there talking to him he's like oh it's like the 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 brawl after is like oh that was handbags i just lost because that actually feels like when when right when the fight's over connor's not being this character anymore that's just how that is about as raw and as unfiltered as you're gonna get him so that is interesting because obviously we don't get footage like that if ever uh, immediately after fight like we obviously see like people celebrating in the back usually on instagram lives or if they do vlogs and stuff like that but to get immediately after the habib brawl and after the cowboy win and then the poirier fights and the leg breaks and everything like those the immediacy is the interesting part because if you like fly on the wall type stuff that is that's right up your alley but like jed said it's if you if you're a diehard MMA fan, you're a diehard Connor fan, it's great. It's great for you. If you're just an MMA fan, you don't particularly care about Connor, I would recommend watching the parts immediately after his fights because that's what I found most interesting because that's all new knowledge. Everything else seemed a lot of I already know this. I already know this. It's like remember when that Ric Flair documentary came out on 30 for 30 and everyone thought it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread? I thought it was kind of boring because it's like I already like we know the story of Ric Flair. None of this is new. This is just other people telling stories we already knew, just in a kind of a stylized way. So, but like Jed said, the production value and whoever put the documentary together, it is a well-crafted piece of art. It, like it's it's well shot, it's well edited. The music is good. So if you just if you're watching it for filmmaking, it's great. If you're just watching it to gain new knowledge, there's not a ton of it in there. But the immediacy after his fights is what I found interesting. So if you're gonna watch it for anything, watch it for that completely agree with that jose like that part's really interesting especially the habib one even the first yeah. dustin loss like it all just, of them that, I, the actually, dustin I actually one was the one that was pain. interesting to me yeah mm-hmm. seeing how bad his leg was jacked up not even the break i'm talking about the the first the second fight yeah, yeah his yeah. leg just i mean his leg just looks so bad and like we we saw him we saw the aftermath and we saw him sort of get on crutches to the to the presser no. but we didn't actually see what that leg looked like when the fight yeah. was over. Holy shit, dude. Well, it's like, it's why like nasty. it's it's why those parts are like when I said it's just the most raw because Connor's just giving himself honest assessment. He's like, My leg was dead in there. Like the fact that he's breaking down what went wrong immediately after, like you don't we don't get that Connor at press conferences or media days or whatever else. So it was a refreshing to just see a high level athlete talk about their sport rather than just being a character. So Again, I enjoyed that aspect of it, seeing parts of Connor you don't normally see. Yeah, the, that that was the only one thing that I was really interested in, was at the mm-hmm. first Poirier one. So the Habib one, yeah, he was like, like that's that's real and raw, but I already we already kind of knew a lot mm-hmm. of that. But the immediately after the Poirier one, when he's sitting next to D and he just kind of looks over and is like, that's it. And you're looking at a man sort of reckon with the fact that he doesn't have his fastball anymore. And I think he quickly tries to talk himself out of that. But like that was the the most mm-hmm. substantial moment of the whole thing. It was like, oh, Connor knows. Connor knows he doesn't have it anymore because he just lost to a dude he shouldn't he didn't think he was going to lose to. And if there's one another cool, like kind of interesting retrospective uh, that I recommend people watch is I think we probably – there's a scene – I forget which episode. Maybe it's the third one. Uh, Connor is watching the Habib versus Justin Gaethje fight. That's three. Watching it all yeah. play out. 
and then here's Habib retire after. That's super interesting too. Just that like part's his reaction to all that. Like you see, he just you see looks agitated and then he's like, ah. <laughs> it's like yeah. damn it. That's that, that's pretty interesting stuff. So if you want to watch it, it's cool. I didn't watch it like full bore. I had it sort of on in the background. I probably watched like 70% of it. Um, but yeah, I think both these guys sort of nailed it in terms of what this is all about. So you can't do these things while the dude's still here. 30 for right. 30, like 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 Jose said, the 30 for 30. I don't I didn't watch that Ric Flair one or whatever, so I don't know that. That might hit for me because I didn't grow up watching Ric Flair. But like if you watch the 30 for 30 on the Bad Boys Pistons or whatever, and you lived it, you wouldn't give a shit if it was happening right now because you'd be like, Yeah, I could just open up the news and read this too. <laughs> but because the Bad Boys Pistons happened in the 80s and that came out 25 years later, the people who don't know get to learn, but the people who there get the nostalgia hit. This happened no- four years ago. Like, yeah, the, no- the, no- the nostalgia aspect plays a big factor because of late, my favorite 30 for 30 has been that. The Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa one, not yeah, the best the thirty for thirty, whatever. Yeah, yeah, not the but best in terms. Not the best in terms of like a documentary, but my entire life revolved around that home run chase. So like, it was a blast for me. So other, but I a hundred percent agree with that. Like in thirty years from now, this documentary would have been fantastic. But yep. we're gonna talk to yeah. Connor by the end of the year at a press conference, probably. You have to let these things breathe. It's like Mark Wahlberg keeps making movies about tragedies that happened like three years ago. You got to give specifically them time, in Boston. But Mark Wahlberg is a piece of garbage and we don't need to talk about him on this on the show. Wow. How about that? Yes, I, uh, I I agree with you on the, uh, the the home run chase. 30 for 30. It's the second best behind four nights in October. Highly recommend that, especially if you're a Yankee uh, fan. Of, co- yeah. of course you would recommend that. If I, if, I could t- if, if I could tattoo a video onto my body, it would be <laughs> Kevin Millar saying, don't let us win today. Don't let us win today. I'd be like, Kevin, Kevin Millar, wherever you are, if I'm in a bar with you, you will never have to buy a beer ever if I'm with you. Fair enough. All right, the point for round four one is the best thirty for thirty. That is a good one too. All the all the stories and stuff. Uh, Point for round four goes to goes to Jose Youngs. I mean, this guy just nailed it. Just rounded it right out. I mean, just tremendous stuff. Just just appealing to Boston. Just appealing to everybody. I don't know. There is a sect of Boston that still likes Mark Wahlberg for whatever reason. Yeah, and they they remember the rap days back in the nineties where he did they remember him beating up that Vietnamese totally love man the funky and blinding bunch. him. Oh, come on, like, like yeah, I don't have I I don't have any idea what you're talking about actually. So. Wow, yeah, go look it up. Mark, when Mark Wahlberg Mark went to Boston, he beat up someone and like the dude like lost his eye or something like that solely because Mark Wahlberg say, was like I'm going to beat up an Asian man and then just found the first one he saw. I don't have a lot of uh, thoughts about Mark Wahlberg, so this will be that's, a good journey for me. That's that's good for you. Like that would be a good doc for you, Jed. When that comes out, that'll <laughs> be a good doc. I All don't right. think they're going to do that for ESPN. Well, I mean, it could be for Netflix. You never know. But let's uh, let's move on to the knockout round. We'll have one question. Each of these participants will have one minute to answer said question, and then we'll turn it on over to the peeps. You could probably start voting right now, and we'll go from there. So, Jed, do you want to go first? Do you want to pass it on over to Jose? Oh, I'll pass. 
All right, I gotta, I gotta read about Mark Wahlberg now, so. All right, so Jose will go first. Uh, Jose, do you want door number one or door number two? Uh, door number one, because Derek Jeter is a jabroni. <laughs> you should win that on principle just for that answer. Mm-hmm. So uh, we saw how the UFC reacted to this Francis Ngannou news. They announced a bunch of big fights as we talked about. But now I think it's time to hear from some of the other players involved in this MMA space. So you are at the podium. You are being asked about this news and how it affects your business. So you have 60 seconds. A state of the promotion address based on France and Ghana signing with the PFL. You, sir, are Bellator Scott Coker. You are Scott Coker. One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Well, you know, as Scott Coker, um, I'm really, you know, I'm just going to have to get with my guys. Uh, we're going to have to talk about it. And then I'll be able to get back to you probably next week. I don't really have any answers for you right now. I'm too busy building uh, another Grand Prix that will inevitably fall apart uh, at some point in time. And, we're, you know, we're going to have events in Paris and Sioux Falls and Dublin, uh, none of which will be pay-per-views and all of which will be headlined by non-title fights. Uh, also, France Ngannou is above 35 years old, which means obviously Bellator doesn't need them, which is one of the po- many positive things uh, that Bellator is doing. As someone on MMAfighting.com, Jed Mishu once said, you know, they do a great job of uh, collecting young talent and growing them. Francis is not young talent and he is a lot of money. Plus, I'm not saying we're not going to get sold, but I'm not saying we aren't going to get sold. So for all we know, we might just be in the Francis business soon. But again, I'm going to have to get with my guys. I'll circle back and get to you guys sometime next week. I just don't have the answers in front of me right now. Wow. How about that? I didn't know what direction we were going to go with that. And if I had to take a guess, that probably wouldn't have been the direction. But thank you, Mr. Coker. I appreciate your candor and your time. Uh, Let's bring Jed Mishu in because there's another man we have not heard from yet since all of this went down. He was discussed and talked about on the MMA Hour. Mr. Coker was put over as a professional in the promotion. Bellator was put over as a professional. Uh, Sir, Chatri Sichotong, you were not put over as a professional entity you're put over as sort of a sideshow as a a guy putting on a a performance if you will uh and i know at least based on graphics and interviews you did you were going to make a hefty hefty offer to france and ghana that you just flat out withdrew before any of this could even happen so chatri one minute or less uh what was your reaction to francis and ghana signing with the professional fighters league go Look, you know, uh, Francis wanted to to make that decision, and he did. And I can't, you know, no no ill will for him. I, I, less reaction to that, more his reaction, more reaction to his interviews with Ariel. And it's it's just a shame when the business has to get like this, you know, because we we met. I mean, Francis admits it. We did have have some discussions, uh, and ultimately we left the table and and realized that I don't think that we're aligned on some stuff uh, outside of just the numbers, obviously. With the, with the deep pockets we have, we could have offered him the most money, but he wanted some other things that, that we don't have. Uh, and it's it's a shame that he has taken to dragging my name through the mud when really all of the news cycle missed the big fact that David Feldman is the liar here. Dave Feldman was the one trash-talking Francis Ngannou, not us. We said great things about the man. Feldman's trashing him, didn't even speak to him, didn't make him an offer. I feel like you guys are attacking me because you're jealous of my billion viewers. So grow up, Peter Pan. (laughs) 
I think this is this is the this is the first time Chatri has ever done an interview where he didn't bring up the fact that he also trains all of the time and he highly respects martial arts. I I I'll be honest, I didn't have my A game. I was I didn't listen to a word you said, Jose, because I was deep in the reading about Mark Wahlberg thing. As it you was, do. It, I didn't. As e- one does. I didn't even know what the actual question was until Mike started talking. It was like, oh, <laughs> whoops. I don't know if this is uh, if it was symbolism or not, but as soon as Jed finished, I mean, just a blast of thunder outside of outside of my garage here in, in South Carolina. I mean, just like bowling, yeah. like a bowling alley it's, roll. It's, right it's midday the in the Low Country in the summer. That's just how that goes. Yep, so it looks like softball probably won't happen tonight. But you can vote right now on who you think won this massive competition between Jed Mishu and Jose Youngs. And, I mean, I, I'm, I don't really know what to say in terms of programming. Uh, well, tomorrow we'll have heck of a morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. We will have a preview show for UFC Vegas 73, which will probably last oh, about 18 minutes. Uh, not sure when it's going to happen, but it will happen, and we will let you know about it. And then we'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show right now, scheduled for 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We'll have a post-fight show, and then AK and I uh, will be back for on to the next one. And then we have a rare week off from the UFC uh, for the long weekend, Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. So, Casey, yep. come on in. You know what's happening that weekend in Arizona, Mike? What is happening that weekend in Arizona? To bring this full circle, the Boston Red Sox are playing in Arizona that weekend. There's no UFC. Oh, tremendous. There you go. We know Jose is going to be doing all weekend. All three days, Very baby. Nice. nice. Hi, Casey. What's going on? Hi, gentlemen. Qu- question about the, <clears throat> about the McGregor documentary. I feel mm-hmm. like we're all – we we had a winner and everything, but I know – are we too close to it? Like, yeah. Would you recommend it for yep. someone who doesn't – live mma no okay no because it's a lie okay that's the question okay because it's a lie like if you just want to watch this thing or whatever then that's like i said it's well produced but like they are not telling an honest story uh, or they are giving you a very narrow rose-colored lens through which the story is told so if it's just like a random be like hey i some level of interest in mma should i watch it's similar in the sense that I don't know if any of the people watching this show or in the comment section will – maybe Jed because he reads comic books sometimes. But there is an Image Comics documentary on Amazon Prime where if you collected comic books during that time, none of it is true. None of it is true. But if you don't know anything about Image Comics, you'd be like, wow, these guys really changed the game and they're all rock stars. I'm like, they're all terrible people. <laughs> like don't watch this documentary if you know what – the true story is <laughs> but yeah don't watch that documentary it's done and todd mcfarlane and rob lifefield are also jabronis oh man i will say that that the older i get the more i kind of think every documentary is that though <laughs> like there's just aren't a lot of honest ones as the, you watch the best them. documentaries in my opinion because artists objective are the ones that like you just don't have any like Hoop Dreams was fantastic because like I have never been in that position of those individuals. Does that make sense? Sure. Like that's an interesting story and neither none of the subjects are famous. It's just normal people living a life that I have no relationship to. There's um 
there's a great doc on Netflix. I'm trying to find the name. I'm looking or right Icarus uh, is the best document I've ever seen because that was Icarus proper, was very good. That's just proper investigative journalism right there. Yeah. That's also, the thing though. That's that's just a journalistic piece yeah. that's in the form of a movie, which is the difference. Yeah. Like, yes. There's a great get- doc about uh it's called Untold Crime and Penalties, and it's about the Danbury Trashers, which is a minor. Oh, yes, yes, team. yes, yes. I saw that one. That is oh, yeah. I, that is I saw what that shit. was. Yeah, that one's not yeah. bad. That one's not bad. It's a mostly because really I story. I didn't know that happened, so like I was learning while having yeah. fun watching a documentary. I had read it in the Boston Herald once, but I didn't know anything about it. And then I watched it. I was like, wow, this is this like is I great. remember when they I remember when they folded, but I was like, okay, just another minor league hockey team is gone. Didn't know the story behind it. Yeah, that's a good one. If you, if you need a wreck, so Casey, uh, who won? All right. Oh. Watch, watch, catching lightning on Showtime—a great MMA documentary. I'm not, I'm not done with it, but it's pretty good so far. I'm through. I, I learned a lot. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. We have a winner. Yeah, oh, we have a winner. <laughs> I wonder who it is. Casey, Today. did you win? Are, are you, are you an option? No, 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 no. I, I, I gotta make it fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your winner today with fifty-five percent of the votes. Is Mr. Jed Mishu. What a shot. 55% of the, the way Casey made it sound, it was like Jed got 92% of the vote. That was like not that far apart. Another 15 votes. Yeah, I don't actually like think it. I should have won this one. <laughs> yeah, Mike, tell is... tell the tell the people what I said in our Slack channel when you asked me to be on P, uh, BTL. Uh, who am I losing to was the question. And I said, my response was, you're against Jed, so you might have a shot. And your response was, sounds like a party. There you go. And with, I mean, and I read that with such enthusiasm, too. Yes. Yeah. So, Jed, I, uh, congratulations, Jose, buddy. Uh, Jose should have won that one. Just, just going to be honest. <laughs> hey, here's, here. the, here's the, I faced against BC, Brian Campbell, and Brian didn't even give an answer. Yeah, that was nonsense. The, I heard that. He gave. He just says, "I don't know. I don't have an answer," and he still won. So like, well, like a lot. <laughs> yeah, by a landslide. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm, at this point, it's he, just Brian. On the wall. <laughs> Brian took like 57 percent of the vote, and there were four people in the vote. Like, it was. We all knew what was happening there, but I was. This is also a bit of nonsense. Just the Jose haters. I definitely got cooked this time. That's okay. I don't think people particularly care in the MMA landscape. Particularly care for facial piercings and pearl necklaces. That's just from you know. I've I've noticed that the last. You have a facial piercing in. I have four earrings and a nose ring. Well, do you have a nose? Is your nose ring in? I just can't see it. Yeah, it's right here. Oh. Yank on that. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Or Look, maybe they just don't like Boston. That could also true. be it. A lot of a lot that's of people true. don't like Boston. That's true. Yeah, but that's we don't. True. You know what? But you know what we call people from Boston? Champions. Boom! Hit the music, Casey. Hit the damn music. Let's go. And you know what? Nobody lost. Everybody watching and or listening to the show, you're all winners because you learned a lot. You got to hear from two of the best in the business. And that's what it's all about. Back next week, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. 
Something's going to happen at UFC it's Vegas. It's not going to be Vegas 73. And we'll discuss it right here on BTL. For Jed, for Jose, shout out to Casey on the ones and twos. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. I am Mike Hack. Goodbye, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.